0: Welcome to Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky, a podcast where we talk about wonky animal facts. I'm your host, Olivia, and each episode I will share with you a different weird fact from the animal kingdom. This week, we have a fish that uses a second set of jaws to capture its prey. And unlike last time, these are animals you may already be familiar with, you may have already heard of them before, since they are fairly common fixtures in public aquaria and some smaller individuals can even be in hobbyist saltwater tanks, so you or your friends might already have one. So we're talking about moray eels. There are a little over 200 species of moray eel spread through 16 genera, in the wild, they live primarily in coral reefs and mangrove forests around the world, hanging out in rock crevices. Most species are marine, but there are a couple of species that live in brackish waters or even adventuring into freshwater. Gymnothorax tile is found is one of these species. It's found in the Indo-Pacific and lives in estuaries and river mouths, even with the possibility of being anadromous. Anadromous fish are those that travel upriver often for breeding purposes. Salmon is one species that does this that a lot of people be familiar with. They live their non-breeding lives in the ocean, and then when it comes time for breeding they travel upriver to their spawning location and depending on the individual where they are in their life cycle or the species they may die right there that might be end of life for them or they'll travel back to the ocean the moray eel i've not read it being quite that extreme the death at the um, end of spawning is not a requirement for being anadromous that's just that travel from ocean to upriver. Mora moray eels will stay mostly hidden throughout the day but will come out at night so they are primarily nocturnal and they eat small fish, crustaceans, so your crabs and your shrimp, as well as cephalopods, so squid, cuttlefish, things like that. As mentioned, some species can be spotted in aquariums, both in your larger public aquaria and in your hobby saltwater tanks that you or your friend or family member might have at home or even in your university. Uh, Green moray eels are the ones commonly seen in public aquaria And these are the large eels that most of you are probably familiar with and likely think of when you hear moray eel. In the wild, they live in the western Atlantic and the Gulf of Mexico in reef systems. A full-grown adult can get up to 8 feet long and 65 pounds, so they don't have many predators to worry about as adults, making them a top predator in the reef. Uh, Snowflake eels, on the other hand, or Echidna nebulosa, as it does have several common names, is a much smaller eel that is sometimes kept in home saltwater tanks. We had one of these in my undergraduate university for a little while. There is an unfortunate story associated with that one, though. Poor little guy. Um, In contrast to the massive 8-foot green moray, the snowflake eel only gets to be about 20 inches long, a little under 2 feet. You can find this little guy in shallow marine areas and reefs in the Indo-Pacific as well as the very Southeast Atlantic. There are several adaptations that moray eels have that are beneficial for a crevice-dwelling life cycle. Um, One of the big noticeable ones is the absence of scales and instead of producing scales, they produce large amounts of mucus to protect their skin that covers their entire body. As a related fun fact, the green moray eel, which are this nice, deep, almost emeraldish sort of green color, I think, they are actually brown. So they produce a yellow mucus over their body that mixes in color with the brown base color to turn them into that nice green color. So speaking of other adaptations for crevice dwelling life cycles are that they no longer have their pectoral or pelvic fins that other fish have. So these would be the fins that run along the side of the body. And they also have a nice beautiful set of secondary or pharyngeal jaws. Now getting into feeding mechanisms of different fish so we can compare and contrast the two different mechanisms. Moray eels are ray fish which include other bony fishes like tuna is a good example, salmon. Most fish that you can think of that aren't sharks are ray fish. So most other ray fish species use a hydraulic suctioning system to eat their prey. If you've ever had an aquarium, you've probably watched your fish sucking in water to eat their food. This works fairly similarly to drinking through a straw by creating a negative pressure. All the fish has to do though to create that negative pressure to draw in their prey is to open their mouth and the nice gaping space allows water to flow on in, um, sucking in their prey along with all of that water to draw the prey down into their stomach. This wouldn't necessarily work too hot for a fish that lives and hunts among rock crevices because this hydraulic system requires a lot of movement and they need to have some expansion ability in order to create the negative pressure. So if your head's shoved into a rock and you gotta open your mouth like nice, big, and wide in order to suck in your prey, you're not going to be an effective hunter necessarily. If your fish is going after larger prey, this would also have the potential to block water flow That you would need to suck in your prey so it creates limitation in prey size that way as well. There are other fish that have some other set of pharyngeal jaws or even just another pair of arches but they seem to primarily be for keeping the food moving through the esophagus down towards the stomach so it's not just regurgitated on back out. Moray eels have a much more developed system That allows them to capture or secure food in much smaller areas as they have their head shoved into a rock. We'll go into the basics of the activation of the jaw, how they use it, and all that good whatnot. If you're a physiological muscular kinematics uh, nerd and all that really jives in your brain and you would like to read more about the specific uh, musculature, the different connections, the different muscular connections, the gill arches, and the specific kinematics The study by Maida and Wainwright that I will include in the description does a great job of detailing all of those specific physiological mechanics. So again, if you want more of that, I'll post it there for here. We're going to keep it a bit more kind of straightforward. So going into how these pharyngeal jaws work, how they're activated. Oh, So first, the eel has to grab their prey in their jaws with the oral jaws, so that would be their first set of jaws. Once they have their prey captured, the pharyngeal jaws spring forward to trap and get a firm hold of the prey. The oral jaws then relax and release a bit, allowing the pharyngeal jaws to attract back into the throat, carrying the prey and guiding it back down to the esophagus. One of the bonuses, additional bonuses, of these, this method of prey capture and transport down to the throat is that the eel doesn't even necessarily have to get a big, huge mouthful of food for this to be successful. If they can even just get a small hold of their prey, just a small bite in the oral jaws, as long as the pharyngeal jaws has something to grab onto when they come forward, then they're all fine hunky-dory, they can still bring the prey on back to their throat, and they can have lunch. Hooray! There are some other bonuses that the moray eel gets using the system. So the double jaw system allows them to capture larger prey since they don't have a water flow to get all clogged up and it generates a larger bite force for them so they can secure their prey much better. If their prey is particularly speedy, They or if they lunge at their prey and can only get a small bite, then that secondary jaw can still capture their prey, so it helps ensure success in a larger number of cases. So these advantages help to secure their position as a formidable reef predator that few fish will want to mess with and makes few divers really want to put their hand into a nice little rock crevice. Thank you for joining me on my second episode. Stay tuned for next time being released next week. If you have a favorite creepy, quirky, or freaky animal fact, send them in at quirkycreepyfreakypod at gmail.com, and it may be featured in a future episode. Audio editing and recording done by me, Olivia Streit. Intro music created by Kaylee Streit. Check out her YouTube channel if you'd like to see some of her cello project series. She's actually currently working on a new series, so new videos are going to be released. Hooray! Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.